Hey guys, I'm Katie. And I'm Zach. And this is our podcast, Into the Strange. couple show announcements on wednesday october 5th which is katie's 30th birthday the big 3-0 our show is getting a full uh makeover yeah a full makeover (laughs) we have new show art which we've been working on pumpkin stop messing with my cord which we've been working on for the last what maybe four days mm-hmm. just perfecting it the way we want it to and i think it's very fitting and it's very on brand for our show and where we want the show to go in the future and if you look real closely we're in you it you get to see what we actually <laughs> yeah. look we're, like we're on the show art oh my goodness but also we are getting we have new intro music which is also very much on brand and just like I said, just everything that we are changing about our show is exactly what I envisioned pretty much from the very beginning. And we've just been growing to get to that point. And now that we've hit a hundred listener mile, like that milestone, that just motivates us to do this even more and just get better and better and better as the time goes by. Well, sometimes podcasting works for groups and sometimes it doesn't. And the fact that it's working for us is what has inspired us to make these changes. Yes. The other two, I have two other announcements to make. We actually have four. Four more? Four. Our two new segments. And oh, our two yeah. New yeah. See, I, I, okay. I'll let you do the two segments and then, okay. So I have... Oh, 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 I'm being bit by a kitten. <laughs> so uh, if you go to the very bottom of our show notes, after all the links to everything, just everything, there is a link. I'm not asking anyone to do this. It's just, it's there if you want to. There is a link that it says support this podcast. You click the link and something will come up and it'll ask you how much you would like to like. It's like I'm calling it our tip jar. If that makes any sense. I want it to be just little amounts. If you want it, if you have it, if you don't want to do it, if you don't, that's perfectly fine. My goal and what I'm really hoping is if anyone does decide to support us in that way. Sorry, pumpkin support us in that way. That I get like your name and then we'll for sure, you know, like with review, whenever we start actually getting like reviews and stuff in and like I want names because I want to be very supportive of our community and of other, you know. I want to give shout outs and recognition. Exactly. We're very, we want to give all the recognition in the world because without our listeners, we would not be motivated to do this anymore and we probably wouldn't do it anymore. (laughs) We probably would have ended a long time ago. Yes. But. Uh, the but other we're one. We're still here, almost. I'm like lost like now. Four months in. So I talked about the tip jar. You said there's four total pumpkin. I have the other two. Yeah, but there's the other one. What's the other one? The ads. 
Yes. Okay. So we're also, we've reached another milestone is here in the near future, we are going to be implementing some ads every once in a while, sprinkling throughout our episodes. And we've talked about it and Katie is going to be handling those. Because I sound more happy. Yes. Right now I don't because my cat is like straight attacking me. Yeah, he, like I said, he has been an absolute menace. He's like going after my elbows right now. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about my elbows, but he like attacks me and that's like his go to spot. I don't know, but I don't like it. I have no idea. So he's crazy. Um, The other two things that we're bringing in is we are actually adding some segments into our episodes and it's not going to start this week. It's actually going to start next week. Um, So look out for the first one is don't be a jerk o' lantern. And that one is based off of the am I the assholes? But we're not calling it that because that doesn't really fit into our. Brand. scene or brand. you know because we're kind of horror related so spooky we have to use spooky titles yeah. so don't be a jerk o' lantern and then the other one that we're going to be putting in is called bone to be wild yes do you want to explain what that one is so bone to be wild is we're going to cover like just dumb criminal stories that we find you know funny animal stories funny just just funny idiot, like, you know, stupid people stories, like just people. It's like the thing that like when someone tells you a story and you're just like, oh my God, they're you so see stupid. That, you see like, you know, like the Florida man stories, just stuff like that. Just really weird, crazy things that we just, we find on the internet that cracks us up. We're going to read though. At least we're going to read one of the, we're going to read one of one of each every week. I don't want to go too crazy because it's going to be set up like, you know, we do our intro. We talk a little bit like we're doing now. Go into one segment, maybe do our story and then end with the last segment. And then, you know what I mean? Maybe we can do the jerk lantern at the end. At the jerk lantern at the end. We'll figure, yeah. we'll figure, we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know. We'll see. But episode 12 here, do you want to yeah, talk we're, a little bit about what we're doing here? We're talking about a pretty, let me get my show notes here. We're getting into a man who is quite popular right now not for good reasons but he is very well known and we're going to be talking about the life of jeffrey dahmer i guess you can call it a life a short-lived life well i mean i guess before we okay so before we get into this massive 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 trigger warning Oh, I'm God. sure yes. everybody has seen the Netflix series on him, so you know what we're getting into this if week. If you haven't seen if you it, don't, if you somehow do not know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, or have heard his or name, or heard of anything relevant, have not have lived under a rock for the last three weeks and have not watched the show, seen anything about it. This one is is a very, very rough episode it's very we'll be discussing rough. murder cannibalism necrophilia it's it's a lot dismemberment anything the worst of the worst this week but we figured since this week is a special episode we've hit a couple milestones 
We're going to talk about we're gonna talk something about that's pretty popular some, right now. We're talking about something that's trending right now, and it's brought back new life, and honestly, it's brought back interest in it. Sadly, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it has, and it, I, I don't know. It's it's brought new people to the true crime community that... It's the, it's the, it's the topic that back in like, 10 15 years ago you were considered crazy for yeah, like you're weird for liking the true crime and now stuff it's, and now it's like everyone's into it it's so popular yes. the people who liked it 10 to 15 years ago are now like idols yeah oh god but like me i was i liked true crime back then not as so much as I. I like it now oh but i've well i've always been into that stuff I, I've but always I, I like the horror movies and stuff you I, know i'm the kid in the family that I, I could stay up super late at night and watch horror films. Well, and I my told you is I would watch when I was li- that. Li- when I was little, little, and I would watch with my grandparents. I would watch like Unsolved Mysteries, like I all like the actual like Mysteries. the actual like true crime, not just horror, like true crime shows where they talk about murder. And and I I was all I've always been interested in that, but like I was saying, is it, it this this Netflix series has brought. A whole new, I guess, generation of people, you know, who are into the true crime stuff. And with honestly, with the success of our Israel Keys episode, because that was a pretty successful episode for us. And that was the first serial killer we've covered. And I don't want to. Well, this one's going to get a lot more than he ever <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah. But. Because everybody knows Jeffrey Dahmer or should. It's just it, like we don't want to. We don't want to just hop on the bandwagon and talk about this and be insensitive about it. No, no. I I will admit, we did watch Dahmer, the show on Netflix. Yes. And towards the end of it, I, I remember you looked over at me at the end when they were listing off all of the victims mm-hmm. and i was getting very emotional mm-hmm. i was actually, getting teared it, up i actually thought that was a really nice touch to that show is that they actually showed the real the pictures actual pictures and the names and and that's what we're going to do at the end of this we have the list of we have the list. i did see that in the mm-hmm. notes that we have, we have the list of the it's victims. not it, okay it's not all of them i did see that i counted it's not all it's of 15 them. And I so we're missing two. We're missing two because the, and the reason why I did that is not to be disrespectful towards anyone, but I'm just I'm going off of facts. And Jeffrey Dahmer was not convicted of 17 murders. He was convicted of 15. So the two that I left out, it has not been confirmed that Jeffrey Dahmer murdered those people. That's why I did that. I you just, will I notice, be, though, if you have seen the Dahmer show at the end, there are yes, 17 yes. photos. I, I don't, I just want to stick to what I, all of the sources that I, everything I read, it stated he was 15, He it was supposedly 17. He admitted to 17, but was convicted of 15. That's the only reason Could why we're doing 15. Could they just not find enough evidence I think that's to what it was. pin the other two? I'm, I think that's what it was. And Even though he admitted? He admitted, yes, but the other thing is I don't want to go off of one of I don't want to go off of his confessions necessarily because those you know the people who do these horrendous crimes they have been known to exaggerate and you know I mean he may have killed all 17 
but we, like I said, there's not enough evidence to prove that he did the other two that there he admitted to. So we cannot 110% confirm that he did that. Well, remember that the one that they showed in the show that I got emotional about. You you know his name. Yeah, he's on the list. I know. Yeah, he's on he's on the list. He's the one that got me. Yes. So I teared up. Once again, it was very emotional for me. Once again, before we get started here, massive trigger warning. If you don't want to listen to this Skip episode, this episode, please. I will not be offended if you hit Marcus. Because we're going to talk about this absolute fuckhead of a human being. So, do you want to start this week since I started last week? Sure. So, we're going to start with Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood. And that would be that Dahmer was born on May 21st of 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The first of two sons of Joyce Annette. Why does it say Nefer? Skip it. Oh, okay. That I don't I don't know. I thought that maybe that was like her so last I'm, name I'm, or something. Well, I'm typing on the new. I uh, so I am. I'm not taking. I was being kind of ri- ghetto riggy about it. I guess you can say MacGyver beforehand, and I was taking all of our notes on just like the word pad on Windows. But I just realized that I have a year free subscription to Microsoft Office, oh. so I'm using like actual Microsoft Word now. So when I type certain things in, it tries to add in the, I guess you can say, pronunciation, but I don't know what, the, I just didn't delete that. Okay, well. So just skip that. What's in parentheses is so not how I you say her name. I don't close. know. <laughs> just skip it. So, um, a teletype machine instructor and Lionel Herbert Dahmer a Marquette University chemistry student, and later a research chemist. Lionel Dahmer was of German and Welsh uh, ancestry, and Joyce Dahmer was a Norwegian and Irish ancestry. Some sources report that Dahmer was deprived of attention as an infant. Other sources, however, suggest that Dahmer was generally doubted on as an infant and toddler by both parents, although his mother was known to be tense, greedy for both attention and pity, and argumentative with her husband and their neighbors. As Dahmer entered first grade, Lionel's university studies kept him away from home much of the time. When he was home, his wife, a hypochondriac who had depression, demanded constant attention and spent an increasing amount of time in bed. On one occasion, she is known to have attempted suicide with, was it Equinil? Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, Consequently, neither parent devoted much time to their son, who later recollected that from an early age, he felt unsure of the solidity. 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 I cannot talk today. I am so sorry. Well, you got the... You have that you bit your lip earlier. Yes, I did. I bit my lip earlier, and so if I mess things up, it's probably because my mouth is numb right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm probably going to sound a little funky. Um, of the family, recalling extreme tension and numerous arguments between his parents during his early years. Dahmer had been an energetic and happy child, 
but became notably subdued after double hernia surgery shortly before his fourth birthday. At elementary school, Dahmer was regarded as quiet and timid. One teacher later recollected she detected early signs of abandonment in Dahmer, who, due to his father's absence and mother's illnesses, the symptoms of which increased when she became pregnant with their second child. Nonetheless, in elementary school, Dahmer did have a small number of friends. So he wasn't always a very lonely, weird kid. No, he was not at all, actually. Well, later in life, he was extremely weird. Yes. In October 1966, the family moved to Doylestown, Ohio. When Joyce gave birth in December, Jeffrey was allowed to choose the name of his new baby brother. He chose the name David. The same year, Lionel earned his degree and started work as an analytical chemist in nearby Akron, Ohio. From an early age, Dahmer manifested an interest in dead animals. His fascination with dead animals may have begun when, at age four, he saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home. According to Lionel, Dahmer was oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made and became preoccupied with animal bones which he called his fiddlesticks. That's creepy. That's extremely <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> he occasionally searched beneath and around the family home for additional bones and explored the bodies of live animals to discover where the bones were located. In 1968, they moved to Bath or the family moved to Bath Township, Summit County, Ohio. The address Oh, this address was... I lost my spot. This address was their third in two years, and the Dahmer's sixth address since marriage. The home stood in one and a half acres of woodland with a small hut being only a short walk from the house where Dahmer began collecting large insects such as dragonflies, moths, and skeletons of small animals such as chipmunks and squirrels. Some of these remains were preserved in jars of formaldehyde and stowed within the hut. So, uh, about his first home there in Bath. Yeah. Uh, I just saw, like, there there have been people who, I don't know the address exactly, but there's people on TikTok who know the address. There's, like, people that live in that house. Because remember, that's where he killed his first victim. The hitchhiker? Yes. And there's people that live in that house now. And I guess the room where he killed his first victim is, like, the guy who lives there. That's, like, his office. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's weird. No. It's weird. It's weird. I wonder if he like senses bad energy. Oh, I'm sure. Or like maybe hears like a thud, you no, know? Because didn't no. <laughs> didn't he hit him with the weight? Yeah. Yes, but we'll get there. Yeah. So maybe he like hears like the the noise yes. from the incident. That would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if people stop in front of it and take oh, houses just like the Amityville house. You oh, know? no, they do. They take pictures. Where it's they all it, park ever, in front and they're just like. Yeah. Ever since the Dahmer series, people have found and like they because since it's up on a hill, you know, there's a like a longer driveway, but you can see it from the bottom of the hill and it's. It's visible, so you don't have to go up the drive. You can just get out, snap a picture, record a TikTok, whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's it's. They weird. should put signs that like tell it's people weird. that like they can't do that. It's you weird. know, for like privacy reasons. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't like it if somebody just stopped in front of our house and took a picture. Right. So two years later, during a chicken dinner, Dahmer asked Lionel, "What would happen if the chicken bones were placed in bleach?" 
Later, pleased by what he believed to be his son's scientific curiosity, demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Now, I don't blame him for that. Because, I mean, honestly, he what, Dahmer's, what, six at this point? Something like that. He, he's so, he's I mean, relatively like, you're young. You're not going to think that, oh, he's up to no good. I mean, like, I get he's a young boy. I mean... Most young boys have a sense of curiosity. They're interested in animals and you know stuff like that. I mean, these are just things like as a parent, you just don't really, yeah, you don't see these things. Now, had Dahmer been in his like teens asking this, yeah, then maybe I'd be like, eh, let's not go there. (laughs) Dahmer incorporated these preserving techniques into his bone collecting. And also began collecting dead animals, including roadkill, which he would dissect and bury beside the hut with the skulls occasionally placed atop makeshift crosses. According to one friend, Dahmer explained to him that he was curious as to how animals, quote, fitted together. In one instance in 1975, this is a trigger warning for dogs, Dahmer decapitated... Oh, I don't want to laugh. Decapitated. Every, yeah, every time I hear that word, I think of Michael Scott. He's like, his kappa was detated. I don't, I'm sorry. I had to. But So Dahmer decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull with a stick in the woodland area behind his house as, quote, a prank. He later invited a friend of view to this, the display, claiming he had discovered the remains by chance. That same year, Lionel taught his son how to preserve animal bones. Joyce began increasing her daily consumption of equinil, laxatives, and sleeping pills, further minimizing her tangible contact with her husband and children. Is she a drug addict? I think she has her own she had her own mental illnesses that she needed to take care of. And obviously, well, why was Lionel she taking laxatives? I don't know. Maybe she liked pooping. I don't uh, know. That's a strange one. I don't know. Well, remember there was that one episode of my strange addiction where the, the girl was addicted to taking laxatives. Remember? She yeah. Would take and like she was like a day. Deathly skinny. Yeah. Cause she all, I mean, she was, just, she lived on the toilet, but anyways, now we're going to get in. <laughs> we're going to blow past that. Yeah. Now we're going to get into Jeff's adolescence and his high school years. Now, watching the Dahmer series on Netflix, this part of his life was like the weirdest thing to me. Mm-hmm. This is the part where I didn't quite understand. You started to get a little bit more how uncomfortable. Nobody noticed. What's the right word? Just how off he was. An outcast. That's the right word. Yeah. How did you look at him and not realize that like something just is not connecting the way that it should yeah, be? I would like say... you should be able to look at him and be like, yeah, something is wrong here. We should probably discuss this. Yeah, I would say just. And everybody just blew past him. Like he's just, that's just Jeffrey. Yeah. Like it's no, would, that's not Jeffrey. I feel like nowadays, since you know we're in the 2022, about to be 23, 
I feel like now if a person acted the way that Jeffrey did back then, I mean, you wouldn't get very far now. No, not one bit. Like you would not back, be able to but, get away with any of the things that he did back then. Yeah, but back then you also had to consider is it was considered like it was frowned upon to get any sort of mental health check. Like anything helping your mental health was like, oh, you're crazy. Well, I mean, I know people who still think that way Oh, there's today, a lot of people who still think that way, and it's ridiculous. It's just, it's not so much the fact that, like, mentally he was crazy. It's the fact that just by even looking at him, you could just tell that he just didn't see things the way that Something everybody else saw things. That's the everybody way that- else looked at life normally, and then Jeffrey looked at life like... He just It, it was a whole nother world for him. Like I said, it, it, that's the best way to describe it is he, he was off. Something was very off about Jeffrey Dahmer from, and I from mean, childhood, essentially. I mean, the fact that I know we haven't discussed it yet, but I'm sure everybody knows Jeffrey was, in fact, gay. Yes. And wasn't that frowned upon back then oh, as yeah. well? I mean, look, it still is, sadly. As, as, that, that's a whole issue, and I don't want to get into that. Because it's just going to get me heated up and I'm just going to go on a rant. And I don't want to do that. But well, it, I don't care if you're gay. I have two gay siblings. <laughs> there's the, there's, yeah, <laughs> I don't we're, care. You know, we, we're in full support of all of that stuff. So, I mean, I just, I feel like, like I said, just Jeff needed, Jeff's mom. We're going to come to find out, you know, a little bit about Lionel. As I'm sure everybody heard in the show that, you know, Lionel ended up admitting he had homicidal thoughts at some point in his life. But he never acted upon them. He never acted them. on them, but he wanted to type thing. So, like, it sounds to me like Jeff's parents, they both needed a lot of mental... They needed mental health things in their lives. They also needed to be there more for their children. They needed to be children. there more for Jeff. And well, yeah, because we don't really know very much about David. No. And they needed just they just needed to be around more. They If it was like, let's say Jeffrey Dahmer was born... You know, you're going to be 30, so you were born in 92. Let's say Jeff Dahmer was born in 92. He probably would not do, he wouldn't have already done, because by the time he was 30, he'd already killed multiple people. He would not have done anything like this at all if he was born in 1992. I feel like had Jeffrey been born when I was born, he would have gotten the help that he He should have gotten gotten back then at an earlier age. I cannot say that he wouldn't. I can't say he would be a free man. He would probably be in some sort of mental health institution. But but he would not not as many lives would have been taken. Yeah, he no, there's no way. But you want to talk about his high school? Yes. His high school years? I just don't want to crazy as his high school experience is. I just don't want to go into a rant about the whole how much I don't know. I, I I will never understand. There are three things in this world that I will never. The only thing I'm going to say before we get back on topic is there are three things in this world that I will never understand. Like why, and that is homophobia, racism, and like sexual predators. Like pedophiles and stuff. Those are the three things I will never understand how the human brain can think the things that those type of people think. 
And that's all I'm going to say. I think we're they're still the, trying to figure it out. Even they're the worst. They are the worst of the worst. And there's, oh my good. Okay. So let's get back on topic because I'm already getting started. I'm getting started here. Before Zach has a heart attack. I'm going to have a stroke Which over I can here. hear is coming. I have an aneurysm. So from his freshman year at Revere High School, Dahmer was seen as an outcast. By the age of 14, he had began drinking beer and hard alcohol in daylight hours. Frequently concealing his liquor inside his jacket, he wore to school. He is known to have mentioned to one classmate who inquired why he was drinking scotch in the morning history class that the alcohol he consumed was his medicine. I'm trying to figure out where to put my cup. On the table like a normal person. <laughs> I'm over here like wailing my head above my so, head. So, although largely uncommunicative. Un- un- I told you guys, I can't talk today. My mouth is numb. In his freshman year, Dahmer was seen by staff as polite and highly intelligent, but with average grades. He was a keen tennis player and played briefly in the high school band. So, see, he wasn't all weird. No. He was somewhat normal. Not entirely normal, but just somewhat. Jeff Dahmer was off. But he was very smart. Yes. Jeffrey Dahmer was a very smart man. Didn't act like it. I don't remember but exactly. But he was very smart. I don't remember exactly what his IQ was, but I know he was on the genius level of, of that. Well, I but can his tell you what. didn't show it. If you watch that Dahmer show, you'll see just by how he talks, he knew how to get around things. Yes. He was very, very intelligent. When he reached puberty, Dahmer discovered he was gay. He did not tell his parents. In his early teens, he had a brief relationship with another teenage boy, although they had never had intercourse. By Dahmer's later admission, he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner in his early to mid-teens, and his masturbatory fantasies gradually evolved to his focusing upon the chest and torsos of the focus of his fantasies. These fantasies gradually became intertwined with dissection. When he was about 16, Dahmer conceived a fantasy of rendering unconscious a particular male jogger he found attractive and then making sexual use of his body. On one occasion, Dahmer concealed himself in bushes with a baseball bat to lie in wait for this man. However, he did not pass by on that particular day. Dahmer later admitted that this was his first attempt to attack and render an individual submissive to him. So he wanted to essentially kidnap this man. Mm -hmm. But because he did not jog by that day. He just so happened to not jog by that day. Jeff couldn't do it. He was unable to do it. Mm -hmm. And just think. The show, that's that's one of the things that the Dahmer series got wrong. Because remember, it showed him at the baseball bat in the bushes, and the guy was running past, and Jeff popped out, with the, and he didn't do anything. He froze. That and nev- then the guy ran nev- away. That never happened. That No, he, he waited. I know Jeff admitted later on that he did wait like in the bushes, but the guy never came, so he just went home. Maybe he just wasn't feeling like running that well, day. Well, that's a good thing. He saved his own life. He saved good job. his own life. So, among his peers, 
in high school. Hold on, I just lost my show notes. Dahmer became something of a class clown who often staged pranks, which became known as doing a Dahmer. That could be referenced to many different things now other than pranks. These included bleeding and uh, simulating epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and local stores. On occasion, Dahmer would perform these antics for money to purchase alcohol. Not a good use of your no, intelligence. That, I think that's just, yeah, it's not right. I do not agree with people who. He's making fun of people with yes, disabilities. Who are actually disabled. I don't feel like those should be made a mockery. You you should never, ever make fun of somebody who is disabled, ever. Right. I do not agree. You want me to? Yes. Okay, so, Thank you, because I just bit my lip yeah, again. And I was going to say, you're starting to so, sound a little weird here. You yeah. might need to put your, take a drink or do something. I may. So by 1977, Dahmer's grades had declined. His parents hired a private tutor with limited success. The same year, in an attempt to save their marriage, his parents attended counseling sessions. Oops. They continued to quarrel frequently. When Lionel discovered Joyce had engaged in a brief affair in September of 1977, they both decided to divorce, telling their sons that they wished to do it do so amicably. Lionel moved out of the house in early 1978, temporarily residing in a motel in North on, on North Cleveland Massillon Road. In May 1978, Dahmer graduated from high school. A few weeks before his graduation, one of his teachers observed Dahmer sitting close to the school parking lot, drinking several cans of beer. When the teacher threatened to report the matter, Dahmer informed him that he was experiencing a lot of problems at home and that the school's guidance counselor was aware of them. That spring, Joyce and David moved out of the family home to live with relatives in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Dahmer had just turned 18 and remained in the family home. Dahmer's parents' divorce was finalized on July 24, 1978, and jo Joyce was awarded custody of the youngest son, of her youngest son, and alimony payments. So now we're going to get into his late teens and early 20s. Because the, the one thing I will, I don't want to, like I said, I really don't want to bag on Joyce and Lionel. But this is the one thing I will is they should not have left him in that house alone. And he just turned 18 years old. Well, they left before he was yeah, I know. 18. They, they left remember, when he yeah. was 17. Yeah, they left. Like it was like right before he graduated. They just left him alone. And I remember in the show when the father comes back home. He had no clue. He did not know that he was so, at the yeah, home. I he just, thought his mother was still there. But he, he, he should have checked up on it. He also was surprised that Jeffrey was even able to graduate yeah, and was proud of him for doing so. I don't so. know. I just But mm. I feel like they really when your kid is still technically in high school, they should not be left alone for X amount of time with no parental supervision no. or check-ins or anything. No, I mean, they, they just They really they messed left. up on that. They made a big parental mistake on that one. I mean, you leave your kid for 5 minutes Nowadays, I mean, you've got CPS knocking on your door like, hey, why did you do that? Yeah. 
But back then, you could leave your kid in a house for months. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's the 70s. That's, that's cool, I guess. Okay, so Just kidding. That's in his, cool. his late teens and early 20s is when Jeff finally acted on his homicidal fantasies for the first time. So this will consist of Jeffrey's very first murder. Yes. Dahmer committed his first murder in 1978, three weeks after his graduation on June 18th. Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks, who was almost 19. Dahmer lured, lured the youth to his house on the pretext of drinking. Hicks, who had been hitchhiking to a rock concert in Chippewa, at Chippewa Lake Park, Ohio, agreed to accompany Dahmer to his house upon the promise of a few beers with Dahmer as he had the house to himself. According to Dahmer, the sight of the bare-chested Hicks standing at the roadside stirred his sexual feelings. Because remember, he's obsessed with torsos. Although, when Hicks began talking about girls, he knew any sexual passes that he made would be rebuffed. After several hours of talking, drinking, and listening to music, Hicks wanted to leave. And so Hicks, quote, wanted to leave, and Jeff said he didn't want him to. Dahmer bludgeoned Hicks with a 10-pound, which is a 4.5-kilogram dumbbell. He later stated that he struck Hicks twice from behind with the dumbbell as Hicks sat upon a chair. When Hicks fell unconscious... Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell, then stripped off, stripped the clothes from Hicks's body before exploring his chest with his hands and then masturbating as he stood above his corpse. See, I couldn't even, I, it was hard for me to even just read. And we're not even into it yet. Well, I will tell you right now, when we get to the one murder that I don't like, That's, I cannot read okay, him. Okay. The following day, Dahmer dissected Hicks's body in his basement. He later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. Several weeks later, he unearthed the remains and pared the flesh from the bones. He dissolved the flesh in acid before flushing the solution down the toilet. He crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland behind the family home. So that's that's Jeff's first murder and that is awfully gruesome for the yes for the very first one yes i mean i know that he only hit him with a dumbbell but all i'm talking about afterwards everything that he did after that yes is extremely intense for somebody who has only thought about these things and never acted on them yeah and you just graduated high school Mm -hmm. so it's not like You've had, you know, 15, 20 years to kind of plan this out. No, you just graduated high school and this is your very first kill. I don't even know how you get past that. So how do you wake up the next day and not be like, oh, my God, what did I do? Six weeks after the murder of Hicks, Dahmer's father and his fiance. Hold on. We are going into his college 
an yeah, army it's just, service. It's, it's yeah, we're still in it, yeah. But we are we getting we, we are getting to, older now. Yeah, we don't I mean we don't need to list off each segment of his I'm life. I'm just saying though. he is now in college. Yeah, his college age anyway, I would say. College age. I didn't He put did that go in. to college. I just put college. I meant to put college age. He did go to college. I don't believe he finished. No, he got kicked out, didn't he? But he did go. Oh yes, he did get kicked out for his alcoholism. Yeah. Six weeks after the murder of Hicks, Dahmer's father and his fiance returned to his home where they discovered Jeff living alone at the house. That August, Dahmer enrolled at Ohio State University, hoping to major in business. Dahmer's sole term at OSU was completely unproductive, largely because of his persistent alcohol abuse throughout the majority of the term. He received failing grades in Introduction to Anthropology, Classical Civilizations, and Administrative Science, the only course that Dahmer was successful was successful at was riflery, so, sh- Ugh. so shooting. Having received a B minus, his overall GPA was point four five out of a four point oh. Yes. On one occasion, Lionel paid a surprise visit to his son, only to find his room strewn with empty liquor bottles. Despite his father having paid in advance for the second term. Jeff dropped out of OSU after just three months. So in the sh- that show got that wrong too because in the show he was kicked out. He dropped out. He was kicked out in the show and his dad did not know about yes. it. His dad was in the principal's office at the time to- or the dean, whatever they call them yeah. in college. And that was when his father had found out that he was no longer enrolled in college. Yeah. So in January 1979, on his father's urging... Dahmer enlisted in the United States Army. He underwent basic training at Fort McClellan in Anniston, Alabama, before training as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. He was occasionally reprimanded for intoxication while stating, or while stationed at Fort Sam Houston. On one occasion, an instance of insubordination resulted in his entire platoon being punished earning Dahmer a severe beating from his fellow recruits. So it's honestly like in Full Metal Jacket. That that just remind remember the scene where the the Gomer Pyle guy keeps messing up and they gets everybody in trouble and they hit him with the bars of soap in the socks? Yes. Yeah, so that Dahmer was essentially So Gomer Pyle. That's when didn't they like hold him They held him they down, held him and down they held, in they his held bed the thing in his mouth. And they beat him it's up. It's very messed up scene, but that that right there is essentially like what that that's movie. what happened to Jeff Dahmer. Not that beating exactly, but you know, in that movie, he was Gomer Pyle. In that movie, he the the Pyle guy. He's crazy, didn't he? He killed. Yeah, but we can't say that that inspired that movie because that movie came out nineteen. No, that came no, out in no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But. Dahmer was an outcast and he turned into a murderer. Mm-hmm. That person in that movie was kind of an outcast and he killed too. So I'm not saying that they're connected in no way, shape, or form. What I'm getting to is that not necessarily all outcasts are going to be murderers, but if you do treat somebody very disrespectfully and, you know, kind of on the wrong all the time, you can trigger something in them that just turns them into like not caring. And then the more that that person does not care, the the more that they're, they could potentially snap and either hurt themselves or hurt other people. Mm-hmm. 
Because didn't something like that happen in our own town? I know one of the school systems is now being oh, I, sued. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Well. I don't know the facts on that. But we don't know the I full know what story, you're talking about. but. And plus, I don't want to name off because, like I said. Oh, we'll, no, I wasn't going to do. Our, like, I wasn't going to do a name. I was just going to say that with that, there is a school district in our area that is being sued by sued. a family that sadly lost their child because of neglect. And my like condolences school, to that family, but the school essentially knew that this child was being and did viciously nothing. bullied and did nothing. Did pretty much nothing. So my condolences to the family, but it just goes to show, I mean, if a person is struggling or if you notice that somebody is being bullied or anything, do not just stand by and watch. Tell somebody. Care. Lend a hand. On July 13, 1979, Dahmer was deployed to Baumholder, West Germany, where he served as a combat medic in 2nd Battalion, 68th Armored Regiment, 8th Infantry Division. See, there's those long military names again we talked about in Why Israel can't Keys. they just say, you were here? You were here as a combat medic. Kudos. According to published reports, in Dahmer's first year's service, he was an average or slightly above average soldier. Soldier. Owing to Dahmer's alcohol abuse, his performance deteriorated, and in March 1981, he was determined. He was deemed um, determined. Where did I get that? He was deemed unsuitable for military service and was later discharged from the army. He received an honorable discharge, as his superiors did not believe any problems Dahmer had in the army would be applicable to civilian life. On I thought it was a dishonorable discharge because of his alcoholism. The show got that wrong, too. So he still got an honorable discharge, Mm -hmm. even though he spent most of his military time drinking? Well, that's the only thing he ever got in trouble for, was the drinking stuff. Well, didn't he do something else? They didn't know that at the time. Okay. On March 24th, 1981, Dahmer was sent to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for debriefing and provided with a plane ticket to travel anywhere in the country. Dahmer later told police that he felt he could not return home to face his father, so he opted to travel to Miami Beach, Florida, both because he was tired of the cold. I can I can see that. And in I can a, definitely <laughs> see that. And in an attempt to live by his own means. In Florida, Dahmer found a job at a delicatessen and rented a room in a nearby motel. Dahmer spent most of his salary on alcohol and was soon evicted from the motel for non-payment. He initially he initially spent his evenings on the beach as he continued to work at the sandwich shop until phoning his father and asking to return to Ohio in September of the same year. So, returning to Ohio and relocation in West was it Alice, Wisconsin? Is that is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm blind. I'm sorry. Um, After his return to Ohio, Dahmer initially lived with his father and stepmother and insisted on being delegated numerous chores to occupy his time while he looked for work. He continued to drink heavily, and two weeks after his return, Dahmer was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. He was fined $60 and given a suspended 10-day jail sentence. I wish our fines nowadays were 60 bucks. 
60 bucks back then is a lot more money. Now I know, but now they're like hundreds. Yeah, well, back then that would be $60 would be like spending hundreds. Oh my goodness. Still. Uh, Dahmer's father tried unsuccessfully to wean his son off of alcohol. In December of 1981, he and Dahmer's stepmother sent him to live with his grandmother in West Allis, Wisconsin. Dahmer's grandmother was the only family member to whom Dahmer displayed any affection. They hoped that her influence plus the change of location might persuade Dahmer to quit drinking, find a job, and live responsibly. Which, in the show, I love his grandma. His grandma is like the sweetest lady you'll ever meet in your Mm, life. Yeah. She is so sweet. I love her. Uh, Initially, grandmas are grandmas. See, I got myself all confuggled. Uh, Dahmer's living arrangements with his grandmother were harmonious. He uh, accompanied her to church, willingly undertook chores, actively sought work, and abided by most of her house rules, although he continued to drink and smoke. In early 1982, Dahmer found uh, employment as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. He held this job for a total of 10 months before being laid off. Dahmer remained unemployed for over two years, during which he lived upon whatever money his grandmother gave him. See, this is different because in the show, he was fired. In the show, he was fired. He was not fired. It also in the show, he was asked to go to church with his grandmother, and he always declined. Mm-hmm. But no, not at first, he went with her. He he actually was. It seemed like Jeff was very. I know later on he admitted throughout the whole time he had those urges, but at that point in his life, it seemed like he had control. So he was able to like bypass those urges and stay and like be normal, the straight and narrow. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the show got a lot of things wrong. I'm noticing. I don't. I don't want to say they got wrong. I feel like it was just one of like everything does. It's based on a true story. Is is they take the artistic liberty and they tweak the details to make it more dramatic and more of fitting of what they want the show to be, you know? Well, shortly before losing his job, Dahmer was arrested for indecent exposure on August 7th of 1982 at Wisconsin state fair park. He was observed to expose himself on the South side of the Coliseum in which 25 people were present, including women and children. For this incident, he was convicted and fined $50 plus court costs. In January 1985, Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, where he worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., six nights per week, with Saturday evenings off. Shortly after Dahmer found this job, an incident occurred in which he was propositioned by another man while sitting reading in the West Allis Public Library. The stranger threw Dahmer a note offering to perform, what is that? Fellatio? Fellatio. Fellatio. Wow. For somebody who's going to be 30 in four days, I need to brush up on my vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) Although Dahmer did not respond to his proposition, the incident stirred in his mind the fantasies of control and dominance he had developed as a teenager and he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookstores. He is also known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store, 
which he briefly used for sexual stimulation until his grandmother discovered the item stowed in his closet and demanded that he discard it. Which that scene in the show is weird. But why why are they talking about bookstores? How is that in any type of relation to a no. gay I mean, I, bathhouse or maybe it's a just, gay bar? I don't know. It's a bookstore. I don't know. Maybe it's like a... I, I don't know. What is this? Like hang out behind the bookshelves or something? Be. I mean, you know, it could I don't be. know. Like, you know, the back of the bookstore or something. There's like a, you know, like, because, you know, back, like I said, back then it was very. Maybe it was like a reading nook. Yeah, I mean, it's just. But more happened yeah, back it, there it, than it's reading. It's like they, you know, the, the, you know, the, the homosexuals and like just everything about that stuff back, even back in the 80s. Like I said, even today is very taboo to a lot of people so it's like they're not hiding but they're kind of hiding they just they don't i guess it's just because you don't don't want to say they but it's i don't know i don't want to be i don't want to say i don't want to say the the wrong thing i don't know i don't know how to explain the bookstore thing I don't want to say they either, but maybe it's because you don't know how that lifestyle is exactly. going to be interpreted by exactly. by others. You know, like you don't know how other people are going to look at that, and, and that's probably and judge what they, you. the bookstores like. You know, it could be a front. It's not like they're. It, I don't know. It's not like back at the bookstore, like you said, like behind the shelves. It could. be... I'm just joking. I'm yeah. not being serious. <laughs> yeah, it could be one of those things where it's like, I don't like. I said I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like I, I, you know, how here's the best way I can think of is like the old video stores where the front of the stores, you know, just like movies and stuff. And then there's that back area where it's like porn and stuff like that. And I'm not saying it's all like porn and sex back there, but it could be, you know, that safe haven for there's no judgment back there. There's no nothing. It's behind, you know, it's all. Your it's own, like that secret corner where it's like yes. special preferences, it's, it's no your judgment. Own, it's your own people. It's your own clan. It's your own like you know. And everybody has their own little clique, and you know, just the type of people, and that they feel safe around that kind of stuff. And they, you know, it's I feel like that's what I get out of that. Well, again, no judgment. And as sad as that is, that that had to be that way. It it's just we're talking about maybe back if in the past. Jeffrey were born. Like around this time, maybe he would feel more accepted than he did back then. You know, because yeah, even though there's a there lot of are judgment still now, people who things, judge now, things have very it much is not changed. as judgmental as it no, was. Things have back very, then. very much. Things are going in the in the right direction. I think for a That's lot why, of things. Maybe if he were born now, maybe his life would have been different. You yeah. know. But it's a little late for that now. So by late 1985, Dahmer had begun to regularly frequent the bathhouses, which he later described as being his relaxing See, places. See, and that, by him saying that is exactly what I was saying. Is it's his comfort zone. Exactly. And that's what I think they meant by the bookstore thing and just in general. Like they're not hiding, but that's a safe place for them. You know, and like I'm I said, glad I'm he using was a- them- I'm glad he was able to find these places where he feels most comfortable. But I still think that it's sad that he could only feel this way in certain environments. Yeah, I know. You know, well, instead I'm- of just every time he left his house, he just 
was free yeah. to be and himself. I, I just want to clarify. Not have to hide. I just want to clarify when I say like with the homosexual community, when I say like they or them, I'm not saying that as a like disrespectful or derogatory type thing. It's just I myself am a straight male. I don't understand. I I don't want to try to come out and mansplain and act like I understand what the homosexual community has gone through. I just, I will never understand. Yeah. Like I said, I just, like I said earlier is I am in full support of all of that culture. Of course. Like I stated earlier, I have a brother and a sister who are both with. I just don't want anyone to take what I'm saying. Totally. Okay. I just don't want it to, I just don't want anyone to take what we're saying about like you joking about that, about the bookstore thing or like anything out of context. Yes, please don't come for me. No, I am. I am just joking. It is my personality. I am not trying to be offensive. I promise you literally no offense behind it. There is no judgment in this house whatsoever. (laughs) I am fully on board, 150% supportive of every lifestyle known to man. Like I I said, it is just very hard for us to explain what, you know, they, I'm going to use they again, what they go through or what, you know, that... uh, what I it's there's no other word besides they it's hard to explain what they go through because we are not homosexuals because we don't so yeah, therefore, we, yeah we yeah we we do not know we have never been treated in the way that the gay community has been treated so therefore when we see the things that have happened to the gay community we do not understand how that feels because we ourselves are not a part of that community so we're not doubting that it has been stressful or awful, but it's just we ourselves do not know how that feels. Right. We know how it looks, but we do not know how it feels. Yes. We just wanted to clear that up. But as we stated, no judgment. You'll never get that in this house from either one of us. So don't don't worry. Don't come for us. Especially me, because I have a very sarcastic personality, and sometimes yeah. things come across, and it sounds like I'm being so rude, but I'm really not. Um, so, these are known as his relaxing places, but during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated at his partners moving during the act. Following his arrest, he stated, I trained myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of people. I don't like that. A person will forever and always be a person. We are not here, toy- should, we are not here, toys. Should I should I should I be a little bit more like theatrical about it and should I do my I can I can do like a Jeffrey Dahmer voice when he when he says something, you know? No, because he he has this no, don't like, do the Evan Peters voice. I'm not going to. I'm not gonna do any voice. When he talks, he talks like really low it's very and like mono really slow very with mono, like no emotion yeah very so he what did he say he said, i trained myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of people that's my jeffrey dahmer sure kind of but or you could do the the evan peters dahmer voice where he's <laughs> he does like almost that like that, you know, that, I like, love the way he talks in that. It's cre- I really it, do. It, well, it's he, it's he, very creepy, but it's very it's spot not, on. It is no, it's not Jeffrey Dahmer. 
I've noticed. But he plays a perfect. He plays it, yes. Jeffrey but his Dahmer. voice, he since he's in you know Wisconsin, it's it's like the Wisconsin Minnesota, like close to Canada. You know, like don't you know? Like he has that kind of like twang. I guess not twang. He has that kind well, of. Well, it we- doesn't sound like what you just but, did. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like he has that. I don't know. It's almost it's a different accent to what actual Jeff Dahmer he sounded like. Just watch the show. You'll know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, because what does he <laughs> say? He says something like, yeah, I just paid $49. Like, that's how he kind of, he has that kind of a nasally, like, $49 for the cleaning crew, and I can't afford it because I just got fired. Like, he has that kind of. Come, come on, man. Come on, man. Like, he has that kind of very nasally Wisconsin accent to him. But he's very good. He plays. He's yes. a very good actor, and Jeff, he does. But, he does a very see, good job. That, that's the, one of the things I noticed right off the bat. And I never complained about it because obviously they can't be. You're not going to be dead on with anything you do, movie related or anything, unless obviously you have the real guy play the kid. Like if Jeffrey Dahmer was in the Jeffrey Dahmer show, then it would be perfect. But obviously, Jeff is not one thing. They I think they missed, and a lot of people miss is. Jeff doesn't have that accent because he's not from Wisconsin. He was born in Ohio. So he has the accent we do, that like Midwest, just like almost, I want to say normal because we have an accent and we don't even know it. I mean, I can do accents. I do them all the time. So Evan Peters (laughs) doing the whole like Wisconsin accent. Well, we don't even know where he's from. That's not Evan Peters' real voice. You don't know that. No, I'm just. I've seen. I don't know. We have watched all of the American Horror Stories. He's even good in those. But you know what? I don't think anything will compare to the Dahmer thing because I think that the Dahmer series on Netflix. I think that is better than any of the American Horror Stories that he's been in. You can disagree with me. I don't care. Anybody can disagree with me. I don't care. But I think. He did an absolutely amazing yeah, 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 job yeah. in Dahmer. Okay. So let's get back. Let's get back here. I know. I'm. I get so carried away. It's crazy. I don't mean to. I. I swear. Sometimes I think I'm ADHD. Um. So for that reason, beginning in June of 1986, he administered sleeping pills to his partners, giving them liquor laced with sedatives. You'll never move again. Again, that's a joke. <laughs> I was going to say, what? <laughs> that's a joke. I'm sorry. Um, he then waited for his partner to fall asleep before performing various sexual acts. To maintain an adequate supply for his medicine, Dahmer informed doctors he worked nights and required the tablets to adjust to that schedule. After approximately 12 such instances, the bathhouse's administration revoked Dahmer's membership and he began to use hotel rooms to continue his practice. So the show did get that right. He did get kicked out of bathhouses and there were um, people who Dahmer would still try to bring in and they would tell them, like, don't go with this guy. He'll drug you. So, I mean, they were already trying to, like, rat him out. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. But it didn't work. It worked at the bathhouses, but nowhere else. 
So shortly after his bathhouse membership was revoked, Dahmer read a report in the newspaper regarding the upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old man. He conceived the idea of stealing the freshly interred corpse and taking it home. According to Dahmer, he attempted to dig up the coffin from the ground, but found the soil too hard and abandoned the plan. On September 8th of 1986, Dahmer was arrested upon a charge of lewd and, uh, what is it, laugh, laugh, lascivious, 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 just kidding, behavior for his masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys as he stood close to the kinikinik. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Holy crap, I got it right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. River, he initially claimed he had merely been urinating, unaware that there were witnesses, but soon admitted the offense. The charge was changed to disorderly conduct, and on March 10th of 1987, Dahmer was sentenced to one year of probation with additional instructions to undergo counseling. Okay. So now we're going to get into his late 20s, early 30s, and these are his subsequent murders. So do you want, what was that? Oh, that was my ring. Oh, okay. I bumped. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, my bad. Oops. So do you want to go or do you want, you want me to take over for a little bit? Uh, no, I'll, I'll keep going. Okay. So on November 20th of 1987, oh, I lost my notes. Dahmer, at the time residing with his grandmother in West Alice, encountered, stop biting me, a, t- quit it encountered a 25-year-old man from Antonagon, Michigan. Stephen tu- Tuomi, right? Is that right? Tuomi? Tuomi? At a bar and persuaded him to return to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee, where Dahmer had rented a room for the evening. According to Dahmer, he had no intention of murdering Tuomi, but rather intended to simply drug him and lie beside him as he explored his body. The following morning, Dahmer awoke to find Tuami lying beneath him on the bed, his chest crushed in and black and blue with bruises. Blood was seeping from the corner of his mouth and Dahmer's fists and one forearm were extensively bruised. Dahmer stated he had no memory of having killed Tuami and later informed investigators that he could not believe this had happened. So, he, like, blacked out, I guess, and accidentally murdered somebody? hmm Yeah, I guess that can happen. I mean, I know people black out and get in fights at bars and stuff, and then they don't realize it. I don't know if anybody's really blackout killed, except for Dahmer, but fights happen. You want to read next? To dispose of Tuami's body, Dahmer purchased a large suitcase in which he transported the body to his grandmother's residence. There, one week later, he severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso, then filleted the bones yeah, then filleted the bones from the body before cutting the flesh into pieces small enough to handle. Dahmer then placed the flesh inside plastic garbage bags. He wrapped the bones inside a sheet and pounded them into splinters with a sledgehammer. 
The entire dismemberment process took Dahmer approximately two hours to complete. He disposed of all of Tuami's remains, excluding the head in the trash. For a total of two weeks following Tuami's murder, Dahmer retained the victim's head wrapped in a blanket. After two weeks, Dahmer boiled the head in a mixture of Soilex and alkali-based industrial detergent and bleach in effort to retain the skull, which he then used as stimulus for masturbation. Eventually, the skull was rendered too brittle by his bleaching process, so Dahmer pulverized and disposed of it. Following the murder of Tuomi, Dahmer began to actively seek victims. So this is this, this got him on his, his murderous path. I thought that this guy is the guy who he kept in the box. I don't know. I don't I th- I know in the show it was. Oh, okay. Following the murder not. of Tuomi, Dahmer began to actively see vic- seek victims, most of whom who most of whom he encountered in or close to gay bars, and whom he typically lured to his grandmother's home. He would drug his victims with oh, try oh. What is that? Triazolam. Triazolam. Triazolam and temezepam. Yeah, yeah, temezepam before or shortly after engaging in sexual activity with them. Once he had rendered his victim unconscious with sleeping pills, he killed them by strangulation. Two months after the uh, Tuomi murder... Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Native American male prostitute named da- Dames, James Doxtater. Dahmer lured the youth to his home with an offer of $50 to pose for nude pictures. At Dahmer's West Allis residence, the pair engaged in sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Doxtater and strangled him on the floor of the cellar. Dahmer left the body in the cellar for one week before dismembering it much, uh, in much the same ma- manner as he had Tuomi. He placed all of Doxtator's remains, excluding the skull, in the trash. The skull was boiled and cleansed and bleached before Dahmer noted it had rendered too brittle by this process. He pulverized the skull two weeks later. On March 24, 1988, Dahmer met 22-year-old bisexual man named Richard Guerrero outside of a gay bar called The Phoenix. Dahmer lured Guerrero to his grandmother's residence, although the incentive on this occasion was $50 to simply spend the remainder of the night with him. He then drugged Guerrero with sleeping pills and strangled him with a leather strap, with Dahmer then performing oral sex upon the corpse. Dahmer dismembered Guerrero's body within 24 hours of murdering him, again disposing of the remains in the trash and retaining the skull before pulverizing it several months later. What's Pumpkin doing now? I think he's attacking my purse. Jeez. On April 23rd, Dahmer lured another man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drugged coffee, both he and the intended victim heard Dahmer's grandmother call, Is that you, Jeff? Although Dahmer replied in a manner that led to his, that led his grandmother to believe that he was alone, she observed that Dahmer was not alone. Because of this, Dahmer not 
opted to not kill this particular victim, instead waiting until he had become unconscious before taking him to the county general hospital. In September 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out, largely because of his drinking. His habit of bringing young men to her house late at night and the foul smells occasionally emanating from both the basement and the garage, Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment at 808 North 24th Street and moved into his new residence on September 25th. Two days later, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy who he had lured to his home on the pretext of posing nude for photographs. Dahmer's father hired an attorney named Gerald Boyle to defend his son at Boyle's request. Dahmer underwent a series of psychological evaluations prior to his upcoming court hearings. These evaluations revealed Dahmer harbored deep feelings of alienation. Of alienation. A second evaluation two months later revealed Dahmer to be an impulsive individual, suspicious of, suspicious of others, and dismayed by his lack of accomplishments in life. His probation officer also referenced a 1987 diagnosis of Dahmer suffering from a schizoid personality disorder for presentation to the court. Do you want to go? Yes. On January 30th, 1989, Dahmer pleaded guilty to the charges of second-degree sexual assault and of... Is he okay? I don't know what I don't know what he's doing. He's he's a menace again. Of enticing a child for immoral purposes. Sentencing for the assault was suspended until May. On March 20th, Dahmer commenced a 10-day Easter absence from work during which he moved back into his grandmother's home. 2 months after his conviction and sexual or <laughs> I read ahead. Two months after his conviction and two months prior to his sentencing for the sexual assault, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, whom Dahmer met at a gay bar on March 25th of 1989. According to Dahmer, on this particular occasion, he was not looking to commit a crime. However, shortly before closing time that evening, Sears just started talking to me. Dahmer lured Sears to his grandmother's home where the pair engaged in oral sex before Dahmer drugged and strangled Sears. The following morning, Dahmer placed the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub where he decapitated the body before attempting to flay the corpse. He stripped the flesh from the body and pulverized the bones, which he disposed of in the trash. According to Dahmer, he found Sears exceptionally attractive and Sears was the first victim from whom he permanently retained any body parts. He preserved Sears' head and genitalia in acetone and stored them in a wooden box, which he later placed in his work locker. When he moved to a new address the following year, he took the remains there. On May 23rd of 1989, Dahmer was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction, with work release permitted in order that he be able that he be able to keep his job. He was also required to register as a sex offender, as he should. He has done a lot worse than just sex offense. Two months before his scheduled release from the work camp, Dahmer was paroled from his reg regime, regime. 
I don't know if I said that right. His five-year probation imposed in 1989 began at this point. On release, Dahmer temporarily moved back in with his grandmother. In May 1990, he moved into the Oxford Apartments located on North 25th Street in Milwaukee. Although located in a high-crime area, the apartment was close to his workplace, was furnished, and at $300 a month inclusive of all bills excluding electricity and economical. That's not bad. I mean, back then, that was probably around what we pay now, right? Well, no, that back then was really cheap because it, it... Would that be considered well, like, the only like thing, Section 8 now? Yes, yes. The, well, the only... Yeah, the only thing he had to pay was the $300 a month because all of his bills were all... Inclu- it was all inclusive. He had no other... Except for the $300 a month rent. Oh. Yeah. I thought... I thought I read that as he paid the electricity. No, no, oh, no, okay. No, no. Okay. Well, I'm, I misunderstood then. So the Oxford Apartments Dahmer moved into apartment 213 in May of 1990 and murdered 12 of his victims at this location. On May 14, 1990, Dahmer moved out of his grandmother's house and into 924 North 25th Street, apartment 213, taking Steer's mummified head and genitals with him. Within one week of his moving into his new apartment, Dahmer had killed his sixth victim, Raymond Smith. Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute whom Dahmer lured to apartment 213 with the promise of $50 for sex. Inside the apartment, he gave Smith a drink laced with seven sleeping pills, then manually strangled him. Apollo, go on, buddy. Okay, sorry. He's a mama's boy. Uh, the following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera with which he took several pictures of Smith's body in suggested uh, positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. Guys, come on. Lay he down, boiled please. the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle with, what did you say, Soilex? Yes. Which allowed him to rinse the bones in his sink. Dahmer dissolved the remainder of Smith's skeleton, excluding the skull, in a container filled with acid. He later spray-painted Smith's skull, which he placed alongside the skull of Sears upon a black towel inside a metal filling, filing cabinet. Why am I saying words wrong today? Because it's 12.35 at night. Ooh. Approximately one week after the murder of Smith, on or about May 27th, Dahmer lured another man to his apartment. On this occasion, Dahmer accidentally consumed the drink laden with sedatives intended for consumption by his guest. When he awoke the following day, he discovered he and his intended victim had stolen several items from his clothing, $300 and a watch. Dahmer never reported this incident to the police, although on May 29th, he divulged to his probation officer that he had been robbed. In June of 1990, Dahmer lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. He drugged and strangled Smith. On this occasion, rather than immediately acidifying, 
the skeleton or repeating previous processes of bleaching, which had rendered previous victims' skulls brittle, Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope it would not retain moisture. Freezing the skeleton did not remove moisture, and the skeleton of his victim was acidified. Several months later, Dahmer accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry, a process that caused the skull to explode. Dahmer later informed police he had felt rotten about Smith's murder, as he had been unable to retain any of his body parts. It's my way of remembering their appearance, their physical beauty. I also wanted to keep. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I at least could keep their skeletons. I believe that is one of his quotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hold on. Less than three months. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. My notes are a little silly. Uh, Less than three months after the murder of Smith, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old Chicago native named Ernest Miller outside a bookstore on the corner of North 27th Street. Miller agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment for $50 and further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach When Dahmer attempted to perform oral sex upon Miller, he was informed, that'll cost you extra, whereupon Dahmer gave his intended victim a drink laced with two sleeping pills. On this occasion, Dahmer had only two sleeping pills to give his victim. Therefore, he killed Miller by slashing his carteroid artery with the same knife he used to dissect his victim's bodies. Miller bled to death within minutes. Dahmer then posed the nude body for various suggestive Polaroid photographs before placing it in his bathtub for dismemberment. Dismemberment. Dahmer repeatedly kissed and talked to the severed head while he dismembered the remainder of the body. That is mighty intense. Dahmer wrapped Miller's heart, biceps, and portions of flesh from the legs in plastic bags and placed them in the fridge for later consumption. He boiled the remaining flesh and organs into a jelly-like substance using Soilex, which enabled him to rinse the flesh off the skeleton, which he intended to retain. To preserve the skeleton, Dahmer placed the bones in a light bleach solution for 24 hours before allowing them to dry upon a cloth for one week. The severed head was initially placed in the refrigerator before being stripped of flesh and painted and coated with enamel. I don't like that. You want me to go? Yes. Okay. Three weeks after the murder of Miller, on September 24th, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old man named David Thomas at the Grand Avenue Mall. He persuaded him to return to his apartment for a few drinks with initial, uh, additional money on offer if he would pose for photographs. In this, in the, his statement to police after his arrest, Dahmer stated that after giving Thomas a drink laden with sedatives, he did not feel attracted to him, but was afraid to allow him to awake in case he would be angry over having been drugged. Well, who wouldn't be? <laughs> like, come on, dude. I mean, I would be angry just being kidnapped. <laughs> Therefore, 
He strangled him and dismembered the body, intentionally re retaining no body parts whatsoever. He photographed the dismemberment process and retained these photographs, which later aided in Thomas's identification. Following the murder of Thomas, Dahmer did not kill anyone for almost five months, which all the experts would call a cooling off period. Yeah, I guess no, you that's could what call they call it. That. it is, is that the correct term? Yes. No. Although on, although on a minimum of five occasions between October 1990 and February 1991, he unsuccessfully attempted to lure men to his apartment. He is known to have regularly complained of feelings of both anxiety and depression to his probation officer throughout 1990, with frequent references to his sexuality, his solitary lifestyle, and financial difficulties. On several occasions, Dahmer is known to have referred to harboring suicidal thoughts. In February 1991, Dahmer observed 17-year-old named Curtis Strouder standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. Oh, man, it's getting late, guys. According to Dahmer, he lured Strouder into his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos. With the added incentive of sexual intercourse. Dahmer drugged Strouder, cuffed his hands behind his back, and then strangled him to death with a leather strap. He then dismembered Strouder, retaining the, young, the youth's skull, hands, and genitals, and photographing each stage of the dismemberment process. Less than two months later, on April 7th, Dahmer encountered uh, a 19-year-old named Errol Lindsay walking to get a key cut. So he's obviously going to like a locksmith or something. Mm-hmm. Lindsay was heterosexual. Dahmer lured Lindsay into his apartment where he drugged him, drilled a hole in his skull, and poured hydrochloric acid into it. According to Dahmer, Lindsay awoke after this experiment, which Dahmer had conceived in the hope of inducing a permanent, unresistant, submissive state, saying, I have a headache. What time is it? In response to this, Dahmer again drugged Lindsay, then strangled him. He decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. He then flayed Lindsay's body, uh, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks in a hope to permanently retaining it. Reluctantly, he disposed of Lindsay's skin when he noted it had become too frayed and brittle. By 1991, fellow residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sopa... Princewell of the foul smells emanating from apartment 213 in addition to the sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. Oh God. Princewell contacted Dahmer in response to these complaints on several occasions. Although he initially excused the odors emanating from his apartment as being caused by his freezer breaking caused the contents to become causing the contents to become spoiled. On later occasions, he informed Princewell that the reason for the resurgence of the odor was that this uh, that several of his tropical fish had recently died and that he would take care of the matter. On the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Lao teenager named Conorak Conorak. Synthesome phone. On I cannot say that name. 
Synthesomphone. There, Synthesomphone. There we go. Okay, okay. On Wisconsin Avenue, unknown to Dahmer, Synthesomphone. Where? Oh, I just lost my place. Was, was the, the young brother. was the younger brother of the boy who he had molested in 1988. He approached the teenager with the offer of money to accompany him to his apartment to pose for Polaroid pictures. According to Dahmer, Synthesomphone was. Uh, initially reluctant to the proposal before changing his mind and accompanying him to his apartment where he posed for two photos in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him into unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. Before uh, Synthesome Phone fell unconscious, Dahmer led the boy into his bedroom where the 31-year-old or where the body of 31-year-old Tony Hughes, an aspiring model, who Dahmer had killed three days earlier, lay naked on the floor. And that's the one you don't like. That's the one that I don't like, and it's simply for the fact that if you have seen the show, I don't know if we're going to talk about it here, but um, he is deaf, and he is very, very sweet. According to Dahmer, he believed that Synthesome Phone saw his body yet did not react to seeing the bloated corpse, likely because of the effects of the sleeping pills he had ingested. On this occasion, Dahmer drilled a single narrow hole in the crown of Synthesome Phone's skull, though which he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. Dahmer then drank several beers while laying alongside uh, Synthesome Phone before briefly falling asleep, then leaving his apartment to drink at a bar and purchase more alcohol. In the early morning hours of May 27th, Dahmer returned to his apartment to discover thin, uh, Synthesome Phone. I'm just going to start saying Conorak. Yes. Because that last, I, that last name, I got it a couple times and I'm losing it. So Conorak, That's a tongue twister. They, to discover Conorak sitting ne- naked on the corner of 25th and State talking in Lao with three distressed young women standing near him. Dahmer approached the women and told them that Conorak who he referred to by the alias of John Mong was his friend and attempted to lead him into his apartment by the arm. The three women dissuaded Dahmer, explaining they had phoned 911. Upon the arrival of two Milwaukee police officers, John uh, Balserzak and Joseph Gabrish, Gabrish, Dahmer's demeanor relaxed. She, uh, he told the officers that Conorak was his 19-year-old boyfriend and that had dr- uh, drunk too much following a quarrel and that f- he frequently behaved in this manner when intoxicated. Dahmer added that his, uh, his lover had consumed Jack Daniels whiskey that evening. The three women were uh, exasperated and when one of the trio tried to indicate to one of the officers, both of whom had observed no injuries beyond a scrape to Conorak's knee and believed him to be intoxicated that Conorak had blood upon his testicles and was bleeding from his rectum and had seemingly struggled against Dahmer's attempts to walk him to his apartment prior prior to their arrival. The officer harshly informed her to, quote, butt out, quote, shut the hell up and to not interfere. 
Shortly after the arrival of the Milwaukee police officers, three members of the Milwaukee Fire Department arrived at the scene. These individuals also examined Conorak for injuries and provided a yellow blanket for the police officers to cover Conorak. One of three believed Conorak needed treatment, but the police officers directed the fire personnel to leave. Shortly after, or yeah, shortly after, Officer Richard uh, Purubkan arrived at the scene. He and Gabrish, followed by Balzarak, escorted Dahmer and Conorak to Dahmer's apartment as Dahmer repeatedly commented on the general crime in the neighborhood and his appreciation of the police. Inside his apartment, in an effort to verify his claim that uh, he and Conorak were lovers, Dahmer showed the officers of two semi-nude Polaroid photos he had taken of the youth the previous evening. Though Balzarak said he smelled nothing unusual, Gabrish later stated that he noted a strange scent emanating of excrement inside the apartment. The odor emanated from the deep decomposing body of Hughes. Dahmer stated that to investigate this order, one officer simply, quote, peeked his head around the bedroom, but really didn't take a good look. The officers then left with a departing remark that Dahmer take good care of Conorak. This incident was listed by the officers as a domestic dispute. Upon the departure of the three officers from his, his uh, apartment, Dahmer again injected hydrochloric acid into Conorak's brain. On, the se- on this second occasion, the injection proved fatal. The following day, May 28th, Dahmer took a day's leave from work to devote himself to the dismemberment of the bodies of Conorak and Hughes. He retained both victims' skulls. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago, where he encountered a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station. Turner accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. At the apartment, Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Turner and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Turner was not reported missing. Five days later, on July 5th, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment on the promise of spending the weekend with him. He drugged Weinberger and twice injected boiling water into his skull, sending him into a coma, where, uh, which he died from two days later. On July 15th, Dahmer encountered 24-year-old Oliver Lacey at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne. Lacey agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing nude for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment, where the pair engaged in tentative sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Lacey. On this occasion, Dahmer intended to prolong the time he spent with Lacey while alive. After unsuccessfully attempting to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his workplace to request a day's absence. This was granted, although the next day he was suspended. After strangling Lacey, Dahmer had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. He placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and his skeleton in the freezer. Four days later, on July 19th, Dahmer received word that he was fired. Upon receipt of his news, Dahmer lured 25-year-old Joseph uh, Braidhoft to his apartment. Braidhoft was strangled and left lying on Dahmer's bed covered with a sheet for two days. On July 21st, Dahmer uh, removed these sheets to find the head covered in maggots. Uh, 
He decapitated the body, cleaned the head, and placed it in the refrigerator. He later acidified Brad Hoff's torso along with, uh, along with those of two other victims killed within the previous month. So now we're going to, that, like, all of that detail is absolutely horrendous. Like, the real story of Jeffrey Dahmer is honestly, it's way worse than the, the Netflix series. I honestly only have one question. How in the world did he sleep in his bedroom with that big barrel? The big barrel. I don't know. Well, there's one detail that I... Well, the thing, too, is the smell. Well, If other people were able to smell it, how was he able to sleep or or even do anything, eat anything in his apartment knowing that the smell was so strong that other people could smell that that smell just didn't bother him there's actually the smell of a decomposing body that would bother anybody there's actually one detail that i just recently oh man i'm tired i'm yawning oh like like i was saying before my tiredness interrupted me um there's one detail that i just actually learned just recently that I didn't put in the notes because I just find it it's one of the easily the most disturbing details of this whole story is you know Jeff I mean in the show Jeff was like killing people and then immediately dismembering them but the real story as we're going through this is he's leaving these bodies just lay around his apartment so at one point Jeffrey Dahmer ran out of places to put bodies in his apartment and he actually put I don't know which victim it was, but he put one of his victims in his shower. Just His body was just sitting in the shower. And Jeff, for like two or three months, would just take showers with a dead body in his bathtub. Like he just took showers with a corpse. <laughs> like, I, that's it. That, that was one of, I learned that just, I think it was either today or yesterday I saw a video about Someone interviewed one of the people, one of the first detectives in his apartment after he was arrested. And that's what they found was that body in the shower. Mm-mm. And like that, that, that was one of the details that really stuck with this detective over the years of how disturbing that is. So that's, that's, I'll read a little bit into his arrest because we're, we're getting here. Uh, and what then, are you then we can because we're gonna get into boy. his arrest and his trial, and then obviously his prison time, and then then we'll be done. And Ow! Pumpkin, come on. Pumpkin You're is being pumpkin mean. is being naughty right now. On you bit me. <laughs> on July twenty second, nineteen ninety one. Don't come up here if you're gonna be mean. Dahmer approached three men with an offer of a hundred dollars to accompany him to his apartment to pose for nude photographs drink beer, and simply keep him company. One of the trio, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, agreed to accompany him to his apartment. Upon entering Dahmer's apartment, Edwards noted, Oh, I'm tired again. Oh. Edwards noted a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Dahmer claimed to use for cleaning bricks. After some minor conversation... Edwards responded to Dahmer's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish, whereupon Dahmer placed a handcuff upon his wrist. When Edwards asked, 
what's happening, Dahmer unsuccessfully attempted to cuff his wrists together, then told Edwards to accompany him to his bedroom to pose for nude pictures. While inside the bedroom, Edwards noted nude male posters on the wall and that a videotape of The Exorcist 3 was playing. He also noted a blue 57-gallon drum in the corner from which a strong odor emanated. See, I don't understand. I don't understand that you're gonna go to sleep when it stinks. I can't even go to sleep without a fan on. I, I could not sleep Dahmer. in a room that stinks. Dahmer then brandished a knife and informed. Thank you for saving me on that last. You're one, welcome. Buddy. You're very welcome. <laughs> Dahmer then brandished a knife and informed Edwards that he intended to take nude pictures of him. In an attempt to appease Dahmer, Edward unbuttoned his shirt, saying he would allow him to do so if he would remove the handcuffs and put the knife away. In response to this promise, Dahmer simply turned his attention towards the TV. Edwards observed Dahmer rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to him. He placed his head on Edwards' chest, listened to his heartbeat, and said, with the knife pressed against his intended victim, informed Edwards he intended to eat his heart. What's Pumpkin doing being naughty? Yes. In continuous, and I'm trying to tell him to stop. <laughs> Just put him down. He keeps coming Lord, back. Don't let him back. I put him on Go the away. floor and he comes Get out of here, demon. <laughs> In continuous attempts to prevent Dahmer from attacking him, Edwards repeated that he was Dahmer's friend and he would not. He was not going to run away. Edwards had decided he was going to either jump from a window or run through the unlocked... Uh, uh, front door upon the next available opportunity. When Edwards next state Ed, uh, when Edwards next stated he needed to use the bathroom, he asked if they could sit with a beer in the living room, where there was air conditioning. Dahmer consented, and the pair walked to the living room. When Edwards exited the bathroom in uh, inside the living room, Edwards uh. Edwards waited until he observed Dahmer have a momentary lapse of concentration before requesting to use the bathroom again. When Edwards rose from the couch, he noted Dahmer was not holding the handcuffs, whereupon Edwards punched him in the face, knocking Dahmer off balance and ran out the front door. At 11.30 p.m. on July 22nd, Edwards flagged down two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Routh and Rolf Mueller, at the corner of North 25th Street. The officers noted uh, the officers noted Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist, whereupon he explained to the officers that a freak had placed the handcuffs upon him and asked if the police could remove them when the officers' handcuff keys failed to fit the brand of handcuffs, which is weird because I'm pretty sure... I thought they all were the same. I think they're supposed to be. Uh, Edwards agreed to accompany the officers to the apartment where Edwards stated he had spent previous five hours before escaping. When the officers and Edwards arrived at apartment 213, Dahmer invited the trio inside and acknowledged he had placed the handcuffs upon Edwards, although he offered no explanation as to why he had done so. At this point, Edwards devolved to the officers that Dahmer also brandished a large knife upon him and that this happened in the bedroom. Dahmer made no comment to this revelation, indicating to one of the officers, Mueller, that the key to the handcuffs was in his bedside dresser. As Mueller entered the bedroom, Dahmer attempted to pass Mueller to retrieve the key himself, whereupon the second officer present, Ralph, informed him to back off. 
uh, in the bedroom, Mueller noted that there was a large knife between uh, beneath the bed. He saw an open drawer which, upon closer inspection, contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Mueller noted the decor indicated that he that they had been taken in the same apartment in which they were standing. Mueller walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the words, These are for real. When Dahmer saw that Mueller was holding several of his Polaroids, he fought with the officers in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called for a second squad car for backup. At this point, Mueller opened the refrigerator to reveal the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. As Dahmer laid pinned on the floor beneath Ralph, he turned his head towards the officers and muttered the words, For what I did, I should be dead. A more detailed search of his apartment conducted by Milwaukee Police's Criminal Investigation Bureau revealed that a total of four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen, a total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Dahmer's uh, bedroom inside a closet. Investigators discovered collected blood drippings upon a tray at the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator, plus two human hearts and a portion of arm muscle, each wrapped in plastic bags upon the shelves. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators deter or discovered an entire torso plus a bag of human organs with and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom. Private contractors from the fire department's hazardous material unit uh, removed the 57-gallon drum from Dahmer's apartment. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He had that 57-gallon thing. I screwed up there. I didn't put all the info. Elsewhere in apartment 230... Yeah, we all know about the, the gallon thing, right? The 57-gallon thing. Yeah, there was like multiple torsos yeah, I, in I, it. I don't know. I don't know. I, was, I don't know. Yeah, I, I screwed up there. Elsewhere in apartment 213, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises... A mummified scalp and there we go. Yep, there I put it right here. I mess, I yeah, I was started typing it out and then I I don't know what happened. <laughs> they had mummified scalp and in the fifty-seven gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos devolving dissolving in the acid solution. A total of seventy-four Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were found. In reference to the recovery of body parts and artifacts at 924 North 25th Street, the chief medical examiner later stated it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene. So, uh, I mean, really, obviously, Dahmer, we can we don't need to go into all the detail about his confessions here because we just I mean, we just told you. Everything yeah, we he just did. told you everything he did. And that's. Obviously, coming from uh, Jeffrey Dahmer himself, so now we're going. So I mean, the confession is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, everything that we just read about what he did, you know that based in the confession, he's just going to tell you that yes, he did do it. Yes, he's so, not denying. Yes, yeah, so now I do believe that he stated that there was no point in him denying right. that he just wanted to tell the truth mm -hmm. so, so he 
did not say no to literally anything. Right. So what we're going to do now is we're actually going to skip ahead to, if you want to skip ahead in the notes, to his trial. I'm, I'm, I'm going here. That's what we're going to do. I don't, I will tell you right now, I do not like the way that my notes got sent to me today because as I'm scrolling, it does not let me do it the way that I want to. So are we skipping the indictment? The indictment? Indictment. Yeah, because I mean, that's relevant to the trial. I mean, they so, talk yes, about. So, yes, we are skipping that? Yeah, yeah, okay. we don't so need to. So, we're just going to go straight to the trial. Okay, yeah. there we go. Like I said, there's no point in going to all this detail of his confessions and his indictment because we all know what the trial and the indictment are all honestly one and the same. And the confession, like you just said, we just talked about all of this. So, okay, my notes are a little funny. I'll show you. So this is, I don't have, it did this to me the last time you read. I went like a whole two pages while you were reading and I didn't have, I didn't have the words. I had to sit there and wait for you to get to the part that I did have. Okay, well then do you just want to use mine? Yes. May I? Because I. Well, just leave it here. Cool. Okay. Because we got, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to share now. We have to share because my notes, ooh, are cut out and I do not have the rest. So, uh, am I starting right here? Yes. Okay. So Dahmer's trial began on January thirtieth of nineteen ninety two. He was tried in Milwaukee for the 15 counts of first-degree murder before Judge Lawrence Graham by pleading guilty on January 13th to the charges brought against him. Dahmer had waived his rights to an initial trial to establish guilt as defined in Wisconsin law. Attorneys at Dahmer's trial debated whether he suffered from either a mental or personality disorder. The prosecution claimed that any disorders did not deprive Dahmer of the ability to appreciate the criminal... Criminality, I believe I said that right, I may not have, of his conduct or to deprive him of the ability to resist his impulses. The defense argued that Dahmer suffered from a mental disease and was driven by obsessions and impulses he was unable to control. Ooh, you jumped too far. Defense experts argued that Dahmer was insane due his necrophiliac drive, his compulsion to have sexual encounters with corpses. Defense expert Dr. Fred Berlin uh, testified that Dahmer was unable to conform his conduct at the time that he committed the crimes due to his paraphilia or more specifically necrophilia. Dr. Judith Becker, a professional or professor of... Physiotry? Psychiatry. Psychiatry. Why is this happening to me? And psychology was the second expert witness for the defense. Becker diagnosed Dahmer as a necrophiliac, although she added Dahmer had informed her he preferred comatose sexual partners to deceased ones. 75% of the time. The final defense expert to testify, forensic uh, psychiatrist Dr. Carl Wallstrom diagnosed Dahmer with necrophilia, borderline personality disorder, uh, schizotypal personality disorder, 
alcohol dependence, and a psychotic disorder. Thank you for that. Losing it today. On February 8th, Dr. Fred Fosdell testified on behalf of the prosecution. Fosdell testified to his belief that Dahmer was without mental disease or defect at the time he committed the murders. He described Dahmer as a calculating and cunning individual able to uh, differentiate between right and wrong with the ability to control his actions and whose lust overpowered his morals. Although Fosdell did state his belief that Dahmer was a paraphiliac, his conclusion was that Dahmer was not a sadist. Oh, it skipped again. The second and final witness to appear for his prosecution, forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz, began his testimony on February 12th. Dietz testified that he did not believe Dahmer had any form of mental disease or defect at the time that he committed the crimes, stating that Dahmer went to great lengths to be alone with his victim and had no witnesses. He explained that there was an ample evidence that Dahmer prepared in advance for each murder, therefore his crimes were not impulsive. Although Dietz did coincide any acquisition of paraphilia was not a matter of personal choice, he stated his belief that Dahmer's habit of becoming intoxicated prior to committing each of the murders was significant. If he had an impulse to kill or a compulsion to kill... Dietz testified he wouldn't have to drink alcohol to overcome it. He only has to drink alcohol to overcome it because he has inhabited against killing. Dietz noted that Dahmer strongly identified with the villains of The Exorcist Three and Return of the Jedi, particularly the level of power held by these characters. Expounding on the significance of these movies on Dahmer's psych and many of the murders committed at the Oxford Apartments, Dietz explained that Dahmer occasionally viewed scenes from these films before searching for a victim. Dietz diagnosed Dahmer with a substance use disorder, paraphilia, and what was that? Schizotypal? Schizotypal. Schizotypal personality disorder. Two court-appointed mental health professionals testifying independently of uh, either prosecution or defense were forensic psychiatrist George pa- uh, Palermo and clinical psychologist Samuel Friedman. Palermo stated that the murders were the result of a pent-up aggression with himself. He killed those men because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to them. In killing them, he killed what he hated in himself. That is a quote from Palermo. Palermo concluded that Dahmer had a severe mixed personality disorder with uh, antisocial, obsessive, compulsive, sadistic, fetishistic, borderline, and necrophilic, necrophilic features, but otherwise legally sane. Friedman testified that it was a, long, a longing for companionship that caused Dahmer to kill and testified that Dahmer was not psychotic. He described Dahmer as amiable, pleasant to be with, courteous, with a sense of humor, conventionally conventionally handsome, and and charming in manner. He was and still is a bright young man. He diagnosed Dahmer with a personality disorder not otherwise specified, 
featuring borderline, obsessive, compulsive, and sadistic traits. So that that's essentially his trial. Like it was a lot of um, just what's wrong with him. That was a lot of it. So on February fifteenth, the court recon uh, yeah reconvened to hear the verdict. Dahmer was ruled to be sane and not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was tried. Although in each count, two of 12 jurors signified their dissent. Former sentencing was postponed until February 17th. On this date, Dahmer's attorney announced his client wished to address the court. Dahmer then approached the approached a lectern and read from a uh, statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. In this statement, Dahmer emphasized that he had never desired freedom following his arrest and that he frankly wished for his own death. He further stressed that none of his murders had been motivated by hatred and that he understood that nothing he either said or did could undo the terrible harm. Apollo, you're distracting me, buddy. He had caused the families of his victims in the city of Milwaukee, and that he and his doctors believed his criminal behavior had been motivated by mental disorders. Dahmer added that this medical knowledge had given him some peace, and that although he understood that society could never forgive him, he hoped God would. Dahmer closed his statement with the following, quote, I know my time in prison will be terrible, but I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. Thank you, your honor, and I am prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration, end quote. He then returned to his seat to await formal sentencing. Dahmer was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts. The remaining 13 counts carried out a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option for Judge Graham to consider at the penalty phase as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Upon hearing Dahmer's sentence, his father Lionel and stepmother Sherry requested to be allowed a 10-minute private meeting with their son before he was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution in Portage. To begin his sentence. This request was granted and the trio exchanged hugs and well wishes before Dahmer was escorted away. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to be tried for the, his, the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. In a court hearing lasting just 45 minutes, Dahmer again pleaded guilty to the charges and was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on May 1st, 1992. The Columbia... Uh, oh, upon sentencing, Dahmer was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution for the first year of his incarceration. Dahmer was placed in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety should he come into contact with fellow inmates. With Dahmer's consent, after one year in solitary confinement, he was transferred to a less secure unit where he was assigned a two-hour daily work detail cleaning the toilet block. Shortly after completing his lengthy confessions in 1991, Dahmer had requested to Detective Murphy that he be given a copy of the Bible. This request was granted, and Dahmer gradually devoted himself to Christianity and became a born-again Christian. 
upon or on his father's urging, he also read creationists, yeah, creationist books from the Institute of for Creation Research. And May four in May 1994, Dahmer was baptized by Roy Ratcliffe, a minister in the Church of Christ and a graduate of Oklahoma Christian University in the prison whirlpool. Following the baptism, Ratcliffe visited Dahmer on a weekly basis up until November 1994. Dahmer and Ratcliffe regularly discussed the prospect of death, and Dahmer questioned whether he was sinning against God by continuing to live. Referring to his crimes in a 1994 interview with Stone Phillips on Dateline NBC, Dahmer stated, quote, If a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway, end quote. On July 3, 1994, a fellow inmate, Osvaldo... Deruthi attempted to slash Dahmer's throat with a razor embedded in a toothbrush as Dahmer sat in the prison chapel after the weekly church service was concluded. Dahmer received superficial wounds and was not seriously hurt in this incident. According to Dahmer's family, he had, a, uh, he had long been ready to die and accepted any punishment which he might endure in prison. In addition to his father and stepmother maintaining regular contact, Dahmer's mother, Joyce, also main re maintained regular contact with her son. Prior to his arrest, well, the two had not seen each other since Christmas of 1983. Joyce related that in her weekly phone calls, whenever she expressed concern for her son's physical well-being, Dahmer responded with comments to the effect of, it doesn't matter, Mom. I don't care if something happens to me. So do you want to read about his death? And then we'll wrap things up here. Yeah. On the morning of November 28th of 1994, Dahmer left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for approximately 20 minutes. You're good. Okay. I'm just I'm just adjusting here. Oh, okay. At approximately 8:10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned about about the head and face with a 20-inch, which is 51 centimeters, metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. Although Dahmer was still alive, he was rushed to a nearby hospital. He was pronounced dead one hour later. Anderson had been beaten with the same instrument and died two days later from his wounds. Scarver, who was serving a life sentence for a murder committed in 1990, informed authorities he had first attacked Dahmer with a metal bar as Dahmer was cleaning a staff locker room before attacking Anderson as Anderson cleaned an inmate locker room. According to Scarver, Dahmer did not yell or make any noise as he was attacked. Immediately after attacking both men, Scarver who was thought to be a schizophrenic, returned to his cell and informed a prison guard God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead. 
Scarver was adamant he had not planned the attacks in advance, although he later divulged to investigators he had concealed the 20-inch iron bar used to kill both men in his clothing before shortly, or clothing shortly before the killings. Upon learning of his death, Dahmer's mother, Joyce, responded angrily to the media. Now is everybody happy that he's been bludgeoned to death? Is that good enough for everyone? The response of the families of Dahmer's victims was mixed. Some celebrated the news while others were saddened. Catherine Lacey, the mother of victim Oliver Lacey, remarked, The hurt is worse now because he's not suffering like we are. The district attorney who prosecuted Dahmer cautioned against turning Scarver into a folk hero, noting that Dahmer's death was still murder. On May 15th of 1995, Scarver was sentenced to two additional terms of life imprisonment for the murder of Dahmer and Anderson. Dahmer had stated in his will that he wished for no services to be conducted and that he wished to be cremated. In September of 1995, Dahmer's body was cremated and his ashes divided between his parents. On August 5th of 1991, as the nature and scale of Dahmer's crimes initially came to light, a candlelight uh, vigil to celebrate and heal in Milwaukee community was attended by more than 400 people. Present at the vigil were community leaders, gay rights activists, and family members of several of Dahmer's victims. Organizers stated the purpose of vigils was to enable Milwaukeeans to share their feelings of pain and anger over what happened. Dahmer's murders were committed at a time of heightened racial tension in Milwaukee. A professor of community studies at the University of Wisconsin, Walter Farrell, later stated race relations in the city had been in state of despair for nearly a decade at the time of Dahmer's arrest. In an August 1991 interview given to the Christian Science Monitor, Farrell stated to, that news of the murders as well as the conduct of Milwaukee police officers Don Belserzak and Joseph Gabrish with regards to victims Conorak, not even going to try to say his last name, exaggerated and highlighted racial tensions within the city. Milwaukee's gay scene was generally underground and transient in nature at the time of Dahmer's murders, with many sexual or sexually active gay men using aliases. Many in the city's uh, gay communities were nervous of the intentions of others after the extent of Dahmer's murders became known, although the fear of distrust generally by Dahmer's crimes was short-lived. As the 1990s progressed, the uh, usage of aliases became less common among members of Milwaukee's gay community. The Oxford Apartments at 924 North 25th Street, where Dahmer had killed 12 of his victims, were demolished in, nine, er, in November 1992. The site is now a vacant lot. Alternate plans to convert the site into either a memorial garden, a playground, or to reconstruct new housing have failed to materialize. Dahmer's estate was awarded to the families of 11 of his victims who had sued for damages. Stop moving the screen. <laughs> Sorry. In 1996, Thomas Jacobson, a lawyer representing eight of the families, announced a planned auction of Dahmer's estate. Although victims' relatives stated the motivation was not greed, 
The announcement sparked controversy. A civic group, Milwaukee Civic Pride, was quickly established in an effort to raise the funds to purchase and destroy Dahmer's possessions. The group pledged $407,225, including a $100,000 gift by Milwaukee real estate developer Joseph Zilber for purchase of Dahmer's estate. Five of the eight families represented by Jacobson agreed to the terms and Dahmer's possessions were subsequently destroyed and buried in an undisclosed Illinois landfill. Lionel Dahmer is retired and now lives with his second wife, Sherry. Both have refused to change their surname and have professed their love of Dahmer in spite of his crimes. In 1994, Lionel published a book, A Father's Story, and donated a portion of the proceeds from his book to the victim's families. Most of the families showed support for Lionel and Sherry, although three families uh, subsequently sued Lionel, two for using their names in the book without obtaining prior consent, and a third family, that of Stephen Hick, or Stephen Hicks, I'm sorry, filing a wrongful death suit against Lionel, Sherry, and former wife Joyce, citing parental negligence as the cause of the claim. Joyce Flint died of cancer in November 2000. Joyce is his mother. His biological mother. Remember, they got divorced, so that's obviously her maiden name. Yes. Uh, Prior to her death, she had attempted suicide on at least one occasion, Dahmer's younger brother, David, changed his surname and lives in, what is that? Animinity. Yes. So, we know nothing about him. Mm -hmm. Would you like to talk about the victims? Yes. So, (sighs) would you like to just read their names? Yeah, we're going to end here by reading the names of the victims that Jeff Dahmer was convicted of. convicted of. And like I explained is I there know there is two more, there but is we more, do not know. But I just wanted to stay factual, like, you know, with the 100% facts and everything I found was confirmed 15, but supposedly 17. So we're just going to name it. And then we're going to, you know, do our little ending and then we're going to get out of here because this is going to be our longest episode because we're at over two hours long now. <laughs> um, so Ricky Beeks, 33, from Rockford, Illinois, was last seen on May 1990. Joseph Braidhoff, 25, from Milwaukee, met Dahmer July 15th, 1991. That's July 19th. July, July 19th. Wow. I Okay. Uh, I can't read. Jamie Dockstader, 14, of Milwaukee, was last seen January 1988. Richard Guerrero, 25, for Milwaukee, disappeared in 1988. Anthony Hughes, so Tony Hughes, was 31, from Madison, reported missing May 24, 1991. Oliver Lacey, 23, from Milwaukee, was last seen July 12, 1991. Errol Lindsay was 19, from Milwaukee, last seen April 7, 1991. 
Ernest Miller, 22, from Chicago, was last seen September 2nd, 1990. Anthony Sears, 26, Milwaukee, last seen March 25th, 1989. Conorak Synthesimphone was 14, from Milwaukee, last seen May 27th, 1991. Edward W. Smith, 28, from Milwaukee, was reported missing June 1990. Curtis Strouder, 18, uh, from Milwaukee, was last seen February 18th, 1991. David C. Thomas, 23, from Milwaukee, reported missing September 24th, 1990. Matt Turner was 20, from Chicago, Met Dahmer in Chicago on June 30th, 1991. And his last conviction besides Stephen Hicks, uh, Jeremy Weinberger was 23 from Chicago, last seen July 6th, 1991. So that is our deep dive into Jeffrey Dahmer, the, the man, the monster, whatever you want to call him. A very, very sick man. So, I guess we can just end it because I don't want to... Yeah, we're already over two hours into this. this so. Yeah, this was a... like When I say deep dive, this was a deep dive. And we... I know we messed some names up. We messed some dates up. I'm very sorry. We don't mean any disrespect against any community, any anyone at all. My condolences. It's just very to hard. All of the families who I know are still suffering. It is just it very, is very hard. hard to get over the loss, especially a loss that was taken in this manner. And it is just very hard for us to talk about, as like we explained, we d- we don't understand. I don't. We just we don't understand a lot of things, and it's it's very hard to dictate. Things you don't really understand. (laughs) So on that note, we will leave you to your thoughts, um, your feelings, and anything else you may have. And we'll see you guys next week. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Well, you always say that. So follow us on Instagram at Into the Strange Pod. Follow us on TikTok at Into the Strange Pod. Um, be ready for our new music and our new artwork next week. This episode is a long one. We're sorry, but we felt that we needed to do the victims justice. And since there's a lot of things that they did not either do right or they changed in the Dahmer series, we wanted to make sure that that we were factual that this is this is the true story of the the monster jeffrey dahmer so like i said follow us on tiktok follow us on instagram both usernames at into the strange pod uh email us suggestions or anything you want except for dirty things don't even don't email us weird stuff or negative things but our email is uh into the strange cast at gmail.com also like i talked about in the beginning if you have the extra couple bucks laying around, if you have, if you, if you want to support us, the tip jar is at the link at the bottom of the show notes. 
Just click, you know, the show notes, go all the way down. You'll see support this podcast. Click it. Choose how much you want to donate a month. If you can, if you want to, that's absolutely fine. If you don't want to, if you can't, you know, that's that's perfectly fine too. But the best way to support our show is to follow us on social media, you know, engage with us on social media, uh, leave some ratings and reviews. That's the number one way to support our show is ratings and reviews. We're going to keep drilling it in as ratings and reviews. That's what we're looking for. We're not here for the money. We're no, here we're not here. We're here for the, we're here to be supportive of everybody. That's our main intention of this show. Uh, so other than that, do you got anything else you want to talk about? No. Okay, so do you have any ideas of what we're going to do episode 13 about? I really don't because as we stated in the beginning, it has been a very busy week. So give me like a day or two and I'll figure it out. I've already figured it out. Okay, I wanted Scott. I wanted to hit you with it because I know... It, so we are located in northern Indiana, and that's obviously as much detail as we're going to go into. Um, and we've only done one Indiana case, and that was episode one, was the Ammons haunting. So next week. <laughs> Can I guess? Sure. Are we doing the, oh God. Is it the is it the green no the golden golden state killer? Golden State's California, Ben. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. I can't think. Episode thirteen. Is it the two girls? Yes. Episode thirteen. I can't think of the name, but I know what it is. The Delphi murders. Yes. Episode there thirteen. We, we are covering the Delphi murders. I'll just give a trigger warning right now. That involves kids. Yes, that is a very, I would say, the most disturbing case to come out of Indiana. It involves two teenage girls yes. on the younger spectrum of teenage girls. So next week we are going to cover we are going to cover the unsolved Delphi murders. So until then, like I said, if you want to leave a tip for us, click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Leave us a rating and review, please. That's all we. That's the main thing we ask for. Leave Follow- us a review, cause then I can see your name. Yeah, and we shout you out. So you know, and follow us on social media: TikTok into the Strange Pod, Instagram into the Strange Pod, and have a good night. We'll see you next week.